0: Hi, this is Ben Lola. back to The Bible Canada. Today we're continuing our current series with a message from Dr. Newfeld called, I Will Tell, The Necessity of Christ. So turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 12, as we examine the reasons why all people need Christ to save them from their sins.
1: My wife and I have friends who work for Wycliffe Bible Translators. While we were visiting the Jar Center in North Carolina, where many Wycliffe translators are sent out, we had the time to visit with a man who plans for the safety of many of the missionaries. Because all the major languages of the world now have a Bible in their own native language, Wycliffe missionaries are translating Bibles into many tribal languages, meaning they go to remote areas of the world. Keeping missionaries safe is a real issue. This man told me that many boats and ferries used to take people to remote islands are innately unsafe. Many times these boats will sink, drowning many on board. And so they provided the missionaries with flotation devices, but many of the missionaries were complaining. They couldn't imagine saving their own lives and simply watching the rest on the boat drowned. And so this man was charged with finding affordable flotation devices that would not only save the missionaries— but that could be used by the missionaries to save countless lives of the men and women on board the boats that they were sailing with. So here's my question. Is the gospel of Jesus really that? It's quite one thing to say we're saved by Jesus, but what are we saying of those not saved by Jesus? Are their sins unforgiven while ours are forgiven? Are they damned while we're saved? Are we afforded heaven? While they're afforded hell. Are the majority of people we bump into every day headed for the great white throne of God to be eternally condemned while we through faith are given over to rewards? To put it another way, are the vast majority of people really on the broad road that leads to destruction? And if this is so, Are the rest of us who are saved quite unlike those Wycliffe missionaries, content to have our own life-saving device while being wholly unprepared to share them with anyone else? You know, to this question now comes a series of questions that challenges what I've just said. There are five of them. Number one, what happens to those who've never heard? Number two, what happened to people in the Old Testament who lived before Jesus died on the cross? Number three, what about people with severe mental handicaps who have no capacity to understand and believe? Question number four, what happens to infants who pass away before they can come to terms with the message of Christ? And question number five, is there really no advantage in a non-Christian who acts virtuously and in some cases with an even greater virtue than some Christians? See, what fascinates me about these five questions is that for many, simply asking them is enough to overthrow the notion that one needs explicit faith in Jesus in order to be saved. Now, many people have simply heard enough. God would not condemn the vast majority of the human race. I'm always amazed at how easily we ask questions in our culture without ever listening carefully to how someone might answer those questions. Instead, we jump to the conclusion that these questions are unanswerable and in the process lose the urgency of presenting the gospel. And so three possible answers have been suggested to the five questions that I've just asked. The first one is that of universalism. God saves anyone who does the best they can, and when it comes to doing the best we can, who are we to judge? And of course, that would mean that Christ died for nothing, for it is not in the end, the blood of Jesus that saves, but rather doing one's best. The second possible answer is that people only get saved by Christ, but that Christ saves a whole host of people who have never explicitly trusted in him for salvation. They'll get to the other side and simply find out that it was Christ's death on the cross that saved them. Of course, if that's true, then why are we preaching the gospel at all? And if that's true, there is no need to call people to believe. I mean, with this point of view, faith is not necessary to be saved. Yes, these people will say, faith in Christ gets you saved, but it's not the only way that you can get saved. And if that's true, we can all rest a little easier, can't we? We don't have to share our faith as urgently as before, and we might not have to sacrifice our lives for the sake of the lost after all. The nerve of urgency has then been cut. The third possible answer to the five questions is the agnostic answer. None of us can say for sure, and since we can't know for sure, we shouldn't be too quick to make judgmental statements. Now, imagine Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. He's just been given an amazing message that ended with these words. This Jesus, whom you crucified, is both Lord and Christ. And in response, says Luke, who records this incident, people were cut to the heart and they said, what must I do to be saved? Now, if Peter had our problems, he would have answered, well, I can't be dogmatic on this because none of us can say this with certainty, but I've been baptized and I've repented and I've believed in Jesus. And it's certainly one of the ways to be saved. So I commend that to you, but I don't want to offend anyone here. So you might want to find your own way as well. See, the problem with a current fog is twofold. Number one, we are lacking the confidence of previous generations in declaring what we know to be true. And two, We've lost the motivation that once inspired evangelists and missionaries and preachers and countless faithful believers who shared their faith tirelessly and gave to the point of poverty, believing that if this was not done, countless millions of people would enter into eternity facing the bar of God's judgment without a ransom for their sin. We used to say, love constrains us, for if we do not tell, they will not hear, and if they do not hear, they cannot be saved. I want to confront us all with three important questions when we consider these matters. Here's the first of them. Will anyone experience an eternity of hell? That's a fair question. Will anyone enter into the eternal fire that demands they abandon all hope for endless ages? That's the first question. Now here's the second. Is the work of Christ, which includes his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, necessary in order for anyone to escape the eternal damnation described in the Bible? Number three, is it necessary for people to hear and believe in order to be saved? So let's see if we can answer these three questions. Let's remind ourselves of the first one. Is hell real? And are people going there? Of course, you and I have never walked through the gates of eternity and seen what confronts us on the other side, but at the very least, let's consider the evidence of the Bible. First, from the Old Testament. I know many of us have been taught that the Old Testament makes no statements about the afterlife, but consider the well-known Psalm 23. David writes, "'Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.'" forever that was David's expectation but is there also an expectation of hell in the old testament indeed there is daniel 2 verse 2 says and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt now please notice that if the life is everlasting then the contempt is everlasting as well both are described as having an endless duration now, what the Old Testament states in somewhat vague terms, the New Testament presents in blazing clarity. Many people are surprised to find that no one in the Bible spoke of hell more frequently than did Jesus. So, for example, Mark 9, 43 to 48, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better that you enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, listen to the words of Jesus, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, from this text, notice two things. First, Jesus claimed that people go to hell because of their sins. That should banish the idea that people go to hell because they're not Christians. The Bible never says that. People go to hell because they've sinned and are judged on the basis of their crimes against God's rule. Second, notice that hell is spoken of as being unending. That's clearly what Christ has in mind as he calls hell the place of unquenchable fire. That is, it cannot be put out and the mention of where their worm does not die in other words their life just like the fire is never quenched those are Christ's plain words now then this is not the only time that Christ speaks that way there are other times Matthew 10:28 Matthew 12:32 Matthew 18:18 18, 18, Matthew 25:41 and 46 Matthew 26:24 all of those passages Jesus used words like eternal punishment It would be better if that person had never been born, he says, guilty of eternal sin, he says, never forgiven in the age to come. Now, the rest of the New Testament talks that way as well. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 speaks of eternal destruction. Hebrews 6.1 and 2 speaks of eternal judgment. Jude 13 speaks of the gloom of utter darkness that has been reserved forever. And Revelation 14.11 speaks of the smoke of their torment rising forever and ever in which they have no rest day or night. See, whatever you think of the subject of hell, all of us need the honesty to admit that the Bible speaks of this subject often. And a plain reading of the Bible denies the idea of annihilation and the idea that hell is only of a limited duration. And when we come back, we're going to ask if Christ's work on the cross is the only solution to the sin problem and whether it's necessary for one to believe in order to be saved.
0: I think we've reflected on some pretty heavy truths already today. But these are extremely important issues to understand and grapple with. It affects not only how we witness, but the urgency of our efforts as well. The Bible is crystal clear about the reality of heaven and hell. The question then is, do we believe it enough to go out and tell people the truth? When we come back, Dr. Newfeld will help us see what the ultimate solution is for lost humanity under the judgment of God. Thanks so much for listening today. You know, are you passionate to see the timeless truths of God's Word infiltrate into as many homes as possible in Canada? If you have a heart to support our ongoing Bible teaching and engagement programs, then I'd like to invite you to consider becoming a monthly partner. Through regular giving, you can help us make a real impact in people's lives, whether it's through radio, teaching resources, audio mail, and so many others. When you sign up, you'll also receive some added benefits, including free subscriptions and discounts, as our way of simply saying thank you. To find out more or to become a monthly partner, visit us at backtothebible.ca or give us a call even right now at 1-800-663-2425. Now let's rejoin Dr. Newfeld as we go back to the Bible. find
1: it emotionally difficult to talk about hell. And I can't imagine anyone with even the slightest modicum of decency speaking about hell with anything but a heavy heart and reddened eyes. And to those who wonder how sin could deserve such a punishment, we would be well served to read Jonathan Edwards' work entitled, the justice of God and the damnation of sinners. Edward says, So sin against God being a violation of infinite obligations must be a crime infinitely heinous and so deserving infinite punishment. To those who say, Surely God would not condemn the greater part of the human race. We do well to remember first the words of Jesus who in Matthew seven thirteen to 14 said, The gate is wide that leads to destruction and those who enter it are many. And the gate is narrow that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Furthermore, as 2 Peter 2, 4-10 reminds us that at the time of Noah, God did not spare the ancient world, but only one family. Neither did he spare the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, but spared only one family. And then, says Peter, then God knows how to keep the unrighteous under the judgment of punishment reserved for the final day. Again, to make the matter plain, the numbers of unrighteous people do not cancel out the judgment of God. If it means all would be condemned, God would not stay his hand. So the Bible tells us that hell is real, and people are indeed going there. And that brings us now to our second question. Is the cross of Christ the only solution to the hell problem? Uh, We could take a great deal of time in answering this question, but let me simply quote one passage, and that being 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. There it says, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. I hope you see the parallelism in that passage. If there is only one God and no other, then, so the passage says, in the same way, there is only one mediator between God and men, no more than one. And so the only solution to the sin problem is found in Jesus. I know, I know. Someone is bound to ask, are you saying that all those other religions are wrong? Let's be clear. Many religions don't even have a concept of a personal God. Buddhism believes there is no God. Hinduism believes that everything is God and that God is not personal. So what I'm trying to say is that the idea of sins presenting a barrier between ourselves and God is not even present in those religions at all. They don't even speak to this question. So to ask if they are wrong is simply to ask the wrong question. I'm about to make a statement that may surprise some. Not only are not all religions essentially the same, The religions of the world are not even asking the same questions, never mind giving the same answers. Only the Christian faith presents the sin question as the fundamental problem of the human race, and since no other religion in the world even presents sin as the problem that it is, no other religion in the world has even suggested what might be done about the sin problem. So when the Bible says there is but one mediator between God and man, please understand no one else is even suggesting the need for there to be a mediator between God and man. Jesus is the only one. And that brings us to the third question. Does a person need to believe in Jesus to be saved? And this is the key question. Can a person be saved in another way? Acts chapter 4 says that Peter and John were arrested for preaching in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they are brought before the Jewish Sanhedrin, the same group that only a short time earlier had ruled that Jesus should be condemned to death. There they are told to give an account of themselves and the seditious message that they're preaching. Let me read to you a part of their response. They say, and I'm reading from Acts 4 verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now it's clear that they believed that it was impossible to be saved from the judgment to come without Jesus. But here now is the question, did they keep teaching this same thing? Several chapters later, and not much time has elapsed, a Roman centurion named Cornelius is described as a man who fears the God of Israel and, says the Bible, a man who makes a practice of doing what is right has visited his home from the Apostle Peter, who preaches the gospel of Jesus to him and his household, and he and all his household believe. Later, in Acts 11, verse 14, Peter is telling the church in Jerusalem about his encounter with Cornelius, and in telling the story, says that Cornelius had received or seen a vision given by an angel before he, Peter, got there. And the angel told the Roman centurion Cornelius of Peter coming, and I quote, He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. In other words, even though Cornelius feared God and did what was right, the clear wording of Scripture is that he wasn't saved. No one had atoned for his sins. He needed the message of Jesus. I wish I had the time to thoroughly examine everything the Bible tells us about the need to believe in Jesus in order to be saved. But let me quote one very simple verse taken from 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. I think we need to settle this matter. It is necessary for people who are lost, which, by the way, is everybody. It is necessary for lost people to hear the saving message of Jesus in order to be saved. For if they do not hear and if they do not believe— They cannot be saved. But we still might argue you have not answered the questions you've been raising at the beginning. I mean, what happened in the Old Testament to people who lived before Jesus died on the cross? And what about people with severe mental handicaps who have no capacity to understand and believe in what happens to infants who pass away before they can come to terms with the message of Christ? And in truth, each one of these questions need to be seriously considered, and we could do an extensive study on each one of these. We don't have the time to do that on this radio broadcast, but could we agree that sometimes we raise a series of questions that only succeed in excusing our lack of urgency for the task that Christ has given us? He wanted us to go into the world and preach the gospel. He wanted us to go with a deep abiding sense of urgency in this hour. He wanted us to see a great cataclysm awaits the entire human race. Imagine hurtling down the roadway in a car doing 100 kilometers an hour, not knowing that at the crest of the next hill is a bridge over an icy river and unknown to us, the bridge has been destroyed. Now imagine no one telling you the bridge is out. The human race, to the most part, does not understand that the bridge is out. But it also doesn't understand that a Savior has been found. And unless we tell, they're lost. So let me go back to my initial example of the Wycliffe Bible translators complaining that it's unethical to take a life vest on a sinking boat and forget about one's fellow passengers to take care of only oneself and one's own family. Apply that to our nation. Most of those who are listening to my voice are Canadians. And if you love your country, then you and I must find means of making sure that the gospel is heard in this country. I mean, that includes healthy, outreach-minded churches. It includes radio programs like Back to the Bible and getting the message out. But at some level, it must also include believers in Jesus who know how to have a spiritual conversation with work colleagues and neighbors and friends and family members and the like and be prepared in a loving and in a gentle manner to tell the gospel of Jesus to those who have not yet heard or believe so that, by all means, we might save some. Romans ten fifteen says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Tomorrow, and please listen to all of these messages, I'm gonna do a tutorial on how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others as a way of life. But above all, develop an urgency around this task. We don't know the time of the Lord's return or the time given to any human being before they must stand before the bar of God's justice. They need the only mediator the human race has been given. They need to hear the gospel.
0: John, thanks again for your message today. You know, it made me consider we live in a nation and in a culture that's relatively tolerant. We're concerned about other people's comfort and not offending anyone. But I think that's taken away something. It's taken away an urgency that we have,
1: yeah, you know, I just am thinking about the missionaries that have gone out in the past. Um you know, I know when Hudson Taylor first went out, it took him a long time to get there, and he wasn't going to come back really quickly. And the only reason men like that actually went out, and women as well, is because they had this deep sense of urgency, if I will not tell, they will not know, and love constrains me to go. So I think that's what we need to have in our own country as well. We need to sense that again.
0: We need to sense that urgency. And that's our prayer today, as you consider this message, that you will indeed feel the urgency, the Spirit of God compelling you to go out and tell the great gospel message. Join us again tomorrow, won't you, on Back to the Bible Canada. I hope that today's message has encouraged and challenged you as we consider these critical questions in light of the confusion and error that pervades our postmodern culture that Jesus Christ alone is the only answer to mankind's sin dilemma, and that hell is real and eternal punishment for those who have not believed in him. These are never easy issues, but they are essential to the entirety of our faith. But we know that the bad news is not the end of the story. There is hope. Join us tomorrow as we learn some tools from Dr. Neufeld on how to share this life-saving message. Have you considered joining us this fall for our first-ever Israel Experience? Along with Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld, Phil Calloway from Laugh Again, and musical guest The Weebs, we'll travel to the Holy Land for an unforgettable trip. This is a country rich in history, geography, and culture that has inspired millions of Christians worldwide. Not only will you experience the sights and wonders of this amazing place, but it will transform your walk with Christ and deepen an appreciation for the Bible itself. There is limited space allowing us to cater to a more intimate group, so don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. To find out more or to register, go to backtothebible.ca or call us today at 1-800-663-2425. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day.